I've got a few hard things to say, I guess. Here I am, it's the, well, it's it's the 4th of October 2020, and I want to say a little bit of death because my mother has just died not so long ago, and it's always difficult losing a parent, always difficult losing anyone close to you. But, um, but what? Well, there are issues around death and dying, lots of them, and the risk of seeing seeming disjointed. Let me just tell you some that spring to mind are in no particular order of priority. They're just the ones that come to my mind. Thing about nursing staff in the United Kingdom, and I think all over the Western world, is there's a tendency to use a kind of euthanasia these days. They call it putting in a codeine driver. Once that's done, uh, the person will die that night or that afternoon. So, so what? It's done to ease the pain. It's done to make things easier for them. And they will say, oh, but she's agreed, or oh, but he's agreed. And of course, they're already drugged up to the nines because of the pain. And so, of course, they agree. They don't necessarily understand the issue or the ramifications of it, or that it is, I mean, if they said to the person, uh, may I now give you an injection that will lead to your death, then the person might hesitate. But they don't say that. They say, hey, look, this is going to ease your pain. We won't be here this evening to, to come and to do anything. So we have to do it now. I know your relatives will be here, but the nurse won't be here all night. And I've seen this done. It's common practice. Well, I say it's, I've seen it done recently. The vicar I'm closest to tells me it's common practice. I've seen it done with my father. My father, it wasn't a driver, it was an injection. With my father, the doctor concerned was much more honest. They actually said, look, I'm going to give you him an injection that'll ease his pain, uh, but it will speed his end. With my mother, the nurse concerned was say that. But it's okay, it's okay, just so long as you know what's going on. Not sure I would want that done to me to ease the pain of dying but it's done it's done yeah people say don't they oh she died in her sleep how lovely what a lovely way to go where they get that for me that's bullshit i would not want to die in my sleep i want well i don't think so anyway i mean sure it'd be easier not to be conscious of dying it's an easier way to go there was a medieval prayer wasn't there god um and, and they used to say it in churches to, I don't know whether they, they, I don't think they still do. God preserve us from sudden death. Because people want time to prepare, want time to know that they're going, want time to prepare things. I mean, my mother made great lists of who gets this piece of furniture, who gets this item of ah, this picture or whatever. I suppose it made it easier. Yeah, it meant that people were not forgotten because in the aftermath of a death, you might forget people that would want to be remembered with some gift associated with the dying person. And you, the relatives, can't think of them, whereas the dying person can think of them and make a list. And that's what my mother did, and very wise she was. God prevent us dying in our sleep. Some people might find that a blessing. I find it a curse. My mother didn't die in her sleep, nor did my father. It might have been easier for my father. My father's end was very difficult. I've seen, my, I've seen a number of people... Die. My grandmother, I watched my grandmother die. She waited for us to come home. 
before she died. She held on. A lot of people often do that, of course. I think I might do that, um, waiting for my loved ones. You don't want to die alone, do you? I mean, it's nice to have somebody with you. It really is. And people often say, I mean, okay, my father slipped away when I left the room to tell my mother that my father was dying. My um, my mother slipped away when my brother-in-law left the room. Um, I don't know whether that's actually... People, people do slip away very often on their own, when they're on their own. Is that because they're more fearful? A little bit more frightened because they've been on their own? I don't know. Should I even say that? But I just want to... Well, I'm, maybe it's helpful to say this to people. I think people really need to be... be I think they need to have somebody with them when they're dying, a loved one or some a friend, somebody holding their hand. Now, it can't always, it's not always possible, of course, but it's, it's, I would like that anyway. I would like that. Yeah, that's the problem with this COVID situation where so many people have died alone. Another thing, dying is slow. Dying is almost always slow. Well, at least the times I've seen it, it's been slow. It's been a long process. I mean, with my mother, we thought she was going. A number of times we brought the children home. We thought she was going to go, and she didn't, and she rallied. But when finally they're on, your loved one is on his or her deathbed, you know it uh, in those last hours. You know it. Um, you can see them slipping away. But it's a slow process. can be very difficult. can be very painful. My father's death was painful. That's why it's comforting to have somebody with you. It's a slow process. That's okay. It's the way it is. Dying is always slow. Well, I suppose there is. You get somebody to shoot you, it'll be quick, won't it? But but dying of natural causes is always a slow process. And you slip into the arms of God. But a little thought here, when you stop breathing, you don't go. You're still around for maybe a minute or so, still hearing. The brain doesn't die instantly when breath stops coming and going. You know, people say, oh, she's gone. <laughs> she's hearing you. She hadn't quite gone because it'll take 60 seconds or so for consciousness to completely go when somebody stops breathing. We often stop breathing from exhaustion and then, then consciousness will go. Um, just a thought to be aware of, I guess. When a loved one dies, when a loved one dies, you want to make it easy for them. Of course, they slip into the arms of God and they live on. I, you think that's nonsense? I don't. It's not entirely a comfort. But I believe that you cannot kill the spirit, that the soul goes on. What's the soul? Well, think of a hard drive of a computer you have, or whatever it is. The Think of a computer. Think of the the RAM, you have the RAM, the memory, and you have the thinking part, right? The um, the chip, whatever it is. Well, the chip inside you, the soul, doesn't go. The memory, sure, but when you when you die, you have access to eternal memory. But the but the soul, the chip, like the chip in the computer, the the processor, that remains alive and continues, and it's what gives you your identity. You can't get rid of that. You can't kill the spirit. It goes on. Now, is that a good thing? I'm not sure entirely. It might be easier if we cease to exist when we when we cease to exist physically. If you, but I don't believe you can kill the spirit. And then they go into the arms of God and into eternity. It's a great leap, isn't it, into the unknown? In a sense, it's the unknown. I mean, you see through a glass darkly. None of us can actually go and come back again, despite the best attempts of Harry Houdini and others. And yeah, who else tried? Um, the uh, Conan Doyle, 
said he would try and come back. These people try and come back, try and get messages through, but it never happens. You can't come back. You cross the great divide. But you can sense them. You can sense they're going. When my grandmother, my American grandmother died, I was not with her. I was with my Cornish grandmother when she died. When my American died, the hour, indeed the minute of her death, I was conscious of it. In the middle of the night, UK time, I was conscious. I sat up. I saw her face. I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. There's a song title. Hey, um, but I did. So you can't kill the spirit. And when they've gone, they've gone. It's very difficult in these COVID times. I don't like funerals. Families get together at funerals. I don't like funerals. I love memorial services when there's been a space between the death or the dying and the service. Then you can remember somebody. I particularly dislike funerals in these COVID times, um, no matter how beautifully they are done. I had to I had to phone somebody and say they couldn't come because there's a limit on numbers at a funeral. I mean, we, haven't, we, we buried her from the house, um, but there was a limit on numbers. I broke my heart, and it actually bothered me right through the funeral service that I had had to turn somebody away who wanted to be there because of the restriction on numbers. Uh, how difficult that must be happening up and down the country. I mean, it's one thing to turn people away from a wedding, but to turn people away from a funeral when they want to grieve, cruel. I don't know, but we've got a limit. The limit's 30 people. God knows we had 35 even with the limit, um, if you count the undertaker and the, the minister. I mean, we had a minister come to the house to do it. It was very, very beautiful. My sister did a beautiful job, and they, uh, I didn't, I didn't help. They took over, and thank God they did. I just, I uh, couldn't have done it really. And then in the aftermath, uh, decisions evolve. Uh, let decisions evolve. There are so many decisions in the aftermath of the loss of a loved one. You know where the property goes, what happens, this, that, trinket, this, that. Who moves into the empty house? Gosh, the empty house disturbed me. Missed her there, and I'll be moving in with my wife. But you have to let decisions evolve. The Arabs have this saying, you know, even when you've gone on a journey, uh, the <laughs> if you don't make a decision because uh, when you arrive at your destination, because you have to give your soul time to catch up with your body, and uh, oh, the Bedouin. Thing, isn't it really i guess but so wise and what greater journey is there than death i'm still very struck by what my sister had to say well it touched my heart what my sister maggie had to say kind of encapsulated the thing for me anyway she said that when you are expecting someone to die it's like expecting someone to go on a journey they well you know they're going to leave you but still, when you wave them off at the station, you cry. It upsets you. And that's, that's how it was for me. It was upsetting seeing her go. The funeral was upsetting. The empty house after the funeral was upsetting. And then slowly over time, you kind of mend and you get used to the situation. Other points? What are the other points with regard to death and dying and the whole business associated with it? Well, I don't know. I guess... Yes, in my experience of it, the fewer people involved in decisions with regard to the immediate affairs of the deceased, the better. I mean, with regard to uh, as to who is going to be an executor. For example, when you appoint an ex executor, it's kind of good, I think, in my experience, to 
appoint one, maybe two people as executors and not a multitude. And unless you anticipate some dispute over the terms of the will, it's probably better not to appoint a solicitor as executor because solicitors will make these things more complicated. You think they'll make them easier? They won't. They'll make them more complicated. In my personal experience, and I'm thinking about my father's death, and the solicitor had his way of doing things as executor, and I was joint executor, and yeah, it was the solicitor's way that prevailed, and I wasn't happy. So better better to, if you, unless you, those that are, Unless there are likely to be disputes about these matters, just better to leave solicitors out of being executors, um, in my view. The other thing is, uh, the other thing is, uh, don't tell the bank. Don't tell the bank until you've dealt with everything else, because the bank are a pain in the neck. They just stop everything and freeze everything, and it causes you problems. Uh, if you tell the bank, so take your time about telling the bank. Deal with the other matters first. Get the death registered. Get everything in order and then you can then you can deal with the bank uh, the very very last thing you do is to deal with the bank they're a blooming nuisance well i'll give you for instance with regard to the bank i mean if you're late dealing with anything you need to i mean you you need to um, stop any benefits your your dear dear beloved is is getting and all this kind of thing and stuff may need to be repaid or paid out of the bank account. Um, the funeral expenses, for example. The bank will freeze every darn thing, so you can't deal with that. If you've got power of attorney, better to um, better to not tell the bank until you have to. The other thing? There's a tendency to do things like registering the will and so on through a solicitor. You can do it yourself. Certainly in the United Kingdom, you can do it yourself very, very easily. And again, unless there is likely to be a dispute over the terms of the will, just do it yourself because solicitors will cost a lot and they'll make it as complicated as they can manage in my experience. Anyway, that's a little thought for you. I think I've finished my reflections on this rather morbid issue. I'll end up with a poem because here's a poem I wrote about. I write piles of poems. I don't know whether any of them will ever get published, but I, I'm endlessly writing poems. Anyway, here's, here's one I, I wrote. Maybe it's an appropriate one. It's titled Passing. The world about me grows young as I grow older. It seems I've scarcely begun, yet I grow colder. Invisible hands transform city streets, and where it was higgledy, now it is neat and people grow younger, stronger, as I grow old and cold. Will you love me when I'm done with your whole life yet to run? I'm a memory, a whisper, a thought, caressed by the wind, enfolded by night. Try not to lose me, for I am the last of my kind, just like you.